Hello and welcome to The Cultural Scavenger. I'm Andy Parker and thanks for joining me as I share the backstories, the insights, and some offbeat tales that you might not expect. Long before I decided to do a podcast, I was grappling with what to do with myself after writing my first book, and I decided I should write a second. The working title was Tales of a Crisis Actor, with stories about my rather odd upbringing and my journey into show business. It was going to be much lighter fare than for Allison, and because there were so many downright funny stories to tell, I just knew people were going to rush out and buy that book. That notion came to a screeching halt when my literary agent told me, Andy, if you want to write that book, just know it will be a vanity project. It's not going to sell. You always hate to hear that your baby could be ugly, but I'd rather get the truth than have somebody blow smoke up my ass. I had nearly completed the manuscript, but shelved it nonetheless. At least there was some good material, and you'll hear more about it on future podcasts. Now, with my hopes of another book tour dashed, I had plenty of time on my hands. Other than the occasional whitewater paddle, I was grounded as the COVID virus raged. As luck would have it, I was offered a new path. Sometime in June of 2020, I read an article that said the Virginia Department of Health was hiring a thousand people to help trace the path of COVID-19. In my former life, I was a headhunter, and this looked to be a great fit and a way I could make a difference. I knew a high-level employee of the district office who provided a reference, and I was hired straight away starting in July. I started out as a contact tracer getting a list of names from a case investigator and calling these people who might have been exposed to let them know and then advising them of quarantine protocols. After two weeks as a tracer, I was asked to become a case investigator where my headhunting skills were really put to use. Now I was the one speaking directly to the infected patient and asking him or her who they'd come in contact with so I could then hand that off to the contact tracer. Only a few weeks in, I just knew there might be a book in here with this. So I called my agent, and once again she broke the news that, No, Andy, there's no book there. Why don't you do a blog, she suggested. At that point, I was working between 35 and 40 hours a week, which for a guy who had been retired for five years was way more than I had bargained for. It didn't leave much time for a blog, but I did manage to dictate some notes in a journal. It was rewarding work, but the routine became repetitious even if the interviews were unique. It was very much like my former career as a headhunter. What started out as a mission of empathy and, for lack of a better term, hand-holding, it became a data and paperwork-driven exercise. After four months, it ended and as of this podcast, the Virginia Health Department is concentrating its tracing solely on family members of those who test positive because they've been overwhelmed by the growing number of cases. I'm sure there would have been additional stories that I could have added, but the ones that follow are pretty indicative of my time interacting with people who were either scared, cavalier, 
funny, or all of the above. So with that, here is my COVID diary, the tales of the contact tracing investigator. July 11th. Today was my first day calling as a contact tracer. The first person, the very first person I called, had developed COVID symptoms the previous night, and she and her husband, who I also spoke to, were very scared, even though he was asymptomatic. All I could do was give them a protocol to follow for quarantine and try to be as reassuring as I could. Part of that was to tell them to just call me any time, day or night. When I finished the call, I thought to myself, good God, are they all going to be like this? No, it got easier the rest of the day. But after that call, I thought this was going to be really, really tough duty. After I finished my interviews for the day, I took the dogs out for a hike, hit the hot tub, then lounged on the deck with a cold beer. But I couldn't help thinking about the call I had with that poor woman, and as darkness fell, I went in and checked my health department-issued cell phone. To my horror, I had missed two calls from the same number. And when I checked the voicemail, it was that woman. It was my first contact. She was calling me from the emergency room. It had been probably a couple of hours since she left that message, but I thought, I've got to call her. I at least have to try. And amazingly, she picked up right away. She was terrified and crying, and she was waiting to be taken in for chest x-rays. And... I was her lifeline. All I could do was try to reassure her. I told her I had seen tragedy. But she was going to be okay because she had an angel on her shoulder. And in that moment, she figured out who I was. Oh, you're that man. She was so beautiful. I told her to just hang tough as we ended the call. I immediately got a text from her that said, I just thanked Allison for lending her dad to me. You are heaven sent. I was sitting alone on the deck, and I just started to cry. Barbara came out and said, Oh my God, what's wrong? I told her about the call and showed her the text. Man, what a first day on the job. The next day, what I experienced made me feel like I'm making some contribution. And there was actually some humor in one of the calls. A middle-aged black woman was living with her husband who had tested positive. She didn't have any symptoms, but I explained that she was going to have to quarantine anyway. When I asked her when she was last in close contact with her husband, she didn't miss a beat and said, Well, we had sex on Saturday night. Does that count? It was... A laugh-out-loud moment for me, and I said, I'm afraid so, Patricia. I hope it was good, because you can't be doing that again for a couple of weeks. She immediately said, Oh, it was. Over the weekend, I had some errands to run, and when I got back from the Kroger pickup, I'm not going in there because no one is wearing masks, they didn't include a few items that I had purchased. That's not that big a deal, because Kroger pickup has been pretty good over the last few months. But I called customer service, and I got a young woman who straightened it out for me. I was having a really hard time hearing her, and she told me that she was having difficulty breathing. 
and it sure seemed to me that she was having COVID symptoms. She said she was going to get tested the next day, and I put on my contact tracer hat and tried to provide her with the insight I had at my disposal and tried to be as reassuring as I could for the second time in as many days. It's hard to get my arms around it. A few weeks later, I interviewed a receptionist at a doctor's office. She was 31 years old, hospitalized, and in really bad shape. She was about to undergo plasma therapy, and that's never a good sign. No two COVID patients seem to be alike. Young people can have every single symptom and get hammered and thankfully recover. And then I've interviewed elderly patients who have symptoms but seem to be managing them well and some that have had symptoms linger on for weeks. I interviewed an elderly woman who was managing the symptoms pretty well and I asked if there was anyone else in the household. She said her husband was there and he probably gave it to her. He had not tested yet, so I told her the same story, that she needed to isolate from him just in case. She said, well, we've been isolating from each other for many years now. I bet that made your day, she said laughing. Yep, it sure did. And I found out today that he indeed tested positive and she was correct. He did give it to her. I then called a middle-aged black man to let him know he was being released from isolation. He was laughing as he said, Can you get COVID from having sex? I said, No, Henry, you can't now because you've already had it. Go for it, big guy. It didn't seem like there could be any humor in all of this when I started, but thankfully there has been some, and boy has it been much needed. I interviewed a preacher's wife in Rocky Mount. Well, she became infected by visiting a church in Tennessee. And she was very pleasant at first, but then she claimed that the virus was created by God and that he was the only one that could save us. She would at least follow protocol and isolate, but she was very resentful that she had to wear a mask and didn't understand that she could be the one infecting others if she didn't. I explained to her, but I'm not sure she got it. Towards the end of the conversation, I was so angry I felt I had to reveal myself. I told her who I was and that I could never worship a God that did to my daughter what he did. I also said, I believe in science. And her response was, oh, well, that explains it. Then she tried to have me write down scriptures, and I told her, no thanks, I didn't need them. I don't want that, but that I hoped she would recover. After our final exchange, I'm sure she told her husband what a lost soul I am and to pray for me. What utter bullshit. One of my cases was truly a mess. When I finally was able to reach him, he said, I need you to get a letter for me because I'm supposed to go into court tomorrow. I can't stay home or they'll throw me in jail. I told him I would take care of it and I discovered that his lawyer was the same as my personal attorney. I called this lawyer's office from my state-issued cell phone, and when he picked up, he said he was expecting someone from social services and was surprised and laughed when he heard from me. I sent a letter to him to make sure his client didn't show up and expose everybody in the courthouse. So after sending the letter to my attorney for the case he was representing, he called me a few days later and said, 
Andy, since you are now my personal case investigator, I need to ask you something. My paralegal's brother tested positive, and I need to know what we should do. I asked him if he had any symptoms, and he said he had a little bit of a scratchy throat, but that was it. I told him just to be on the safe side, go get tested along with everybody else in the office. I haven't heard back from him, so I'm hoping and assuming he tested negative. I had one bizarre day even by COVID interview standards. It started off reasonably normal with one guy who was positive. His wife, who was a nurse, was also positive, but her case had not been reported to the Virginia Department of Health. Next, I got a return call from a case I'd been trying to reach over the weekend that told me on my voicemail that he was following protocol and was under a primary physician's care and he didn't want any more calls. So I tracked down his primary physician, left a message with the nurse, and asked if they could intervene to get him to better cooperate with me. A couple of days later, the case called me back and was very pleasant and cooperative. So I guess the doctor told him to stop being stupid. Ah, the power of the case investigator. Next up was the divorced dad who seemed indifferent when I interviewed him about his four-year-old and 15-year-old who had tested positive. He had just picked them up from the ex-wife, and on the case notes in the system it said that both of these kids had suffered some kind of odd injuries to their head, face, hands, etc., I made notes to the folks at the office and suggested that there might just be something more going on here and it might need to be investigated. He is now tested positive and is sick. You feel for most people, but not this guy. What an asshole. There was a case I hadn't been able to find. I spoke with his mother who informed me that the young man, 28 years old, had been released from incarceration on Friday from the Henry County Jail and then over the weekend went to the hospital telling the people there that he was going to commit suicide. They were going to treat him, but as with any admission these days, they had to do a test. When he tested positive for COVID, they discharged him. His mother was justifiably pissed. I asked where he was and she told me he was staying at his grandfather's place but that his grandfather had just been taken to the hospital with what they thought was pneumonia, and it was probably COVID. The young man's case notes indicated drug use, IV use, etc. God only knows where he spread this, but when he tested, he was asymptomatic, and I've run into a few of those. He turned out to be a junkie. I talked to his mom again, who told me she is bipolar, and... I don't think she's going to be any help. According to her, he has infections on both of his arms from IV injections and a giant boil on his ass. He was probably improperly released from the hospital, and I think he's been readmitted to a hospital about a half an hour away. Anyway, it was probably the most bizarre case I've run across thus far. Just screwed up every which way it can be. My last interview that day I thought would be a piece of cake since it involved a minor. Turns out I probably won the prize for the most contacts connected to a case. At least the great aunt slash guardian was cooperative, 
But I ended up with 15 contacts connected to this case, and I fear all 15 may get the virus because they have been living in close proximity without taking any precautions. It was another six-hour day, which doesn't seem like much to folks that haven't been retired for five years, but it wore me out. And still, talking to these people is one of the most satisfying experiences of my life. If we all end up getting COVID, it'll be because of some dumb kids that think because they don't have any symptoms, they can just continue with their normal lives. I had to put the fear of God into two of them to stay the fuck at home. And at the other extreme, you have this poor woman who was deathly ill, who had the strength to call me this morning to give me some additional names of co-workers that she had been in contact with. There was a woman who tested positive and was asymptomatic and swore up and down that it was a mistake. I finally released her today. She was preachy when we first talked, but today, her husband, who's a doctor that runs one of the urgent care labs, joined her on the phone to say a prayer for me, for all the good work that I'm doing. She claimed that there are people she and her husband know that are missionaries around the world who prayed for her And that's why she didn't have any symptoms. Why is it that some people feel like they have a special in that protects them and other people die? I had an interview with the Roanoke Times, and in the interview I said, it's just like a crapshoot. It's Russian roulette. You really just don't know how it's going to affect you. Over several days, I interviewed a family that moved from New Hampshire to our area. I know the area where they live, and apparently it's a very tiny house, and they're all together, and they all are positive for COVID. The mother talks to her baby while she's talking to me. The father is depressed and doesn't talk much at all. He works at the finishing plant and has probably exposed all of his co-workers. It seems that she is desperate for somebody to talk to, and I can't get off the damn phone with her. She wants to tell me her life story and everything that is going on with her young children at that very moment. One of my cases has been very feverish for almost a month. She just can't shake it, but thankfully she hasn't gone to the hospital She's one of those folks that we call long haulers, I'm afraid. As the number of new cases skyrocket, I'm starting to feel like Mickey Mouse in The Sorcerer's Apprentice, trying to catch up with the current cases and still deal with the new ones that are coming in. Deep into the surge of infections, those businesses that took a hands-off approach to enforcing mask wearing are now finally more aggressive in enforcement. And as we await a vaccine, it's finally sinking into people, even some of the mask-denying cult, that they need to be responsible. I don't know what happened to that woman, the long hauler, who couldn't shake her symptoms after a month-long struggle. I suspect that, like so many, she'll be grappling with the aftermath of what hit her for some time to come. I had people on my case list that died. I never spoke with them because they were on ventilators by the time I got their names. And finally, I checked the database and found that 
the person I spoke with the day I started my contact tracing, who had become symptomatic the night before, and was terrified and called me from the ER, had been released from the hospital later and ultimately recovered. The woman who had Allison on her shoulder made it. I promised her Allison would deliver for her, and she certainly did. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider becoming a contributor to the podcast. I'm Andy Parker. And I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.